This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. Hi, I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author of Fanatical Prospecting Objections, Sales EQ, and Inked, and I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. Welcome back to another episode of the Sales Gravy Podcast. I'm Jeb Blunt Sr., and with me on this episode is Sean Adams from a company called IRAD, and I'm really interested to hear more about what Sean is doing to help companies get their sales teams ramped up faster on new technology. Before we get started, I want you to go check out Salesgrave University. Salesgrave University is the place where sales professionals and sales leaders from across the globe, companies, uh, who's who of companies from every walk of life go to learn and upskill. And right now, if you're a brand new user and you've never been on Salesgrave University before, you can get your first course for free by using coupon code free course when you go to learn.salesgrave.com. That's learn.salesgrave.com. Just use coupon code free course. Sean Adams, Welcome to the Sales Gravy Podcast. Jeb, it's an honor to be here. This is a huge treat for me. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for being on and thank you for being such a big fan of fanatical prospecting. And if you're listening, you won't see this, but I also see my good buddy, Anthony Anarino's book, The Lost Art of Closing, right behind you. And you said earlier that those two books, Fanatical Prospecting and Lost Art of Closing, are your like one-two punch of sales books. So just, and this is just a, a gratuitous plug on my part, but I'm getting you to say it. Like, tell us why, why those books are so important to you. Yeah, if I could, those two books for me are your book is opening the conversations and Anthony's book is just that guide from initial meeting through to closing the door. Those 10 commitments that he talks about uh, are huge. They've been really helpful for me. Lots of tactical advice in that book about kind of after that meeting's been set, how do we add value? How do we ask the right questions? And none of that is possible without actually setting the conversations and fanatical prospecting was a game changer for me in a, a methodology for me to adopt in terms of getting in the, the rep for how we have to put the, the energy and the action into each day, falling in love with the process of prospecting. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, a Bible for me for sure. Beautiful. So um, we're going to get back to prospecting and some of the techniques that you're using in your business right now to get more conversations. And there's some unique things that you're doing. And there's some things that you've changed and augmented by using the book. And I want to get into those conversations. But first, I want to talk about what you're doing um, at IRAD. So let's start with just a little bit of background on you. And then let's talk a little bit about your company. And then we'll jump into some of the challenges that you're helping sales teams solve. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll notice the word unconventional come up a couple of times in my background. Uh, I got into the, the software space, the sales space by accident, really. I came in as a small business owner, owned a couple of different contracting businesses, first about 10 years of my career, really where I cut my teeth professionally in sales and marketing and entrepreneurship. And technology was a big part of that. I brought in some CRM tools very early on in those initial cloud days back 10 plus years ago, and it was transformational for my business. And I became sort of obsessed with telling other people about technology and the right levers to pull and how this could really be a, you know, a, a catalyst for change and, and uh, streamlining organizations. Had an opportunity to sell my company and move full-time into tech sales. I did some consulting for a while, ultimately landed in this weird SaaS uh, sales world where I'm actually helping business owners 
who I used to be, uh, speak that language and bridge that gap between which tools to pick up, uh, how to leverage this technology and, and speak their language. And so uh, that's really how I got into it. And uh, it's been a fun ride up into where I am now, which is a head of sales for IORAD. And uh, we really focus on the, on the training side and, and driving actionable, uh, you know, learning at the deepest level, which I'm sure you and I want to unpack today. So let's let's talk a little bit about what IRAD does and um, and and just sort of kind of set up the conversation with your 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 focus, because it, it seems like it's a pretty laser, you know, narrow focus on a specific part of the sales toolkit that uh, that has a real benefit for business owners who are spending money on technology. Yes. Yeah, so let's use an analogy. I find it's one of the easiest ways to understand this. So when we're talking about a how to task, a digital task, how to add a contact to my HubSpot, how to use sales navigator, whatever the, the software is, if I were to be really thinking about the best way to really show you that it would be to be shoulder to shoulder and me say, Jeb, click on that button and then click here and then hit this drop down and then this text box. But that doesn't really work at scale. And basically what we have is a tool that allows you, uh, the creator, to capture your screen and create an instant interactive tutorial based on the actions that you just took. And so it differentiates from something like video, because when you create a video, it is one dimensional, meaning that as soon as it's created, it's done. So if that technology changes, if the process changes, if the screen looks different, that thing has to go out the window because it's obsolete. And so we have no way of iterating and changing that other than throwing it out. So this interactive tutorial, if I'm looking at one of your last YouTube videos, which was how to leverage something like LinkedIn and the notification settings, I'm looking at your video on one screen. I'm looking at my LinkedIn. I'm pausing your video. I'm jumping over, trying to figure out where you are. It's kind of disjointed from a technical click by click standpoint. Our tool is actually going to take what you do and put it directly on top of someone's LinkedIn. They're going to hear your voice. They're going to see where you click. It's going to pop up for them. Think of it like a GPS turn by turn on your screen across any digital experience. Very good. How's that delivered? Like, is it, is it like, do you drop it into say the CRM so that if they're, if they're there, they get it, or is it something that they go choose out of the LMS and then they pull onto their screen? Yeah, it's actually both. So we have a browser extension. So you can actually have this browser extension enabled. And there's an in-app help center that will follow the user around their experience. That's typically the most commonly used way. So if I'm in HubSpot, it's going to show me a help center for all the tutorials that have been created and made available for me in that tool. If I jump over to LinkedIn, same thing's going to be available there. You can also embed them in something like an LMS. You can link out to them in a URL, but primarily the help center ends up being that kind of GPS in your pocket. And you're saying, I'm here. I need to get to there. What are the steps turn by turn I need to get to? I reference that help center and then boom, boom, boom. It takes me through those actions clearly uh, so that I can actually get to what I'm trying to accomplish. Well, I think that's super important you know, as a trainer. So I've got a sales gravia training company. One of the things that we've run into is that companies come to us and say, okay, you're going to be teaching our sales team. We do a lot of work with, with new salespeople. So that would be, you know, I say 80% of training dollars are spent on people who you're onboarding and bringing through the process. Sure. And we teach sales skills and they'll say, well, can you teach them how to use Salesforce? Or can you teach them how to use HubSpot? Or can you teach them how to use LinkedIn? And, and we say, yes, we can. But the mm -hmm. thing is, is that do you really want to spend your class time money 
with us doing a tutorial on how to use Salesforce or how to use technology to people who are 22, 23, and 24 years old, who should yeah. be at this point native technology users, users, and they know how to go get it. I mean, I've always like, and not, you know, I'm old at this point, but I've always told people, you don't know how to use it, right click. And it sounds like what you basically created is the right click. You don't know how to use it. You do the right click and you bring it onto your screen. Because I think, especially when we're paying money to put people in a classroom, it's really expensive to teach someone how to go click by click by click to, to figure out, you know, how to do a search on LinkedIn. It's a lot easier if you can, if you can put it in line, like it's an easy thing for them to do. And that's, uh, I think the, probably the biggest frustration for business owners is I've got all this technology and people don't use it. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about your experience in, in selling business owners. So you've got this, this program, you just explained it to me. And if you're listening, it sounds a little esoteric, you know, you're going <laughs> to like create this thing and it's going to show up on the screen and we're going to click through it. I get it. I understand where you're coming from. It's, it's kind of the right click. If you don't know how to use it, click here and then we'll show you exactly how to use it on your screen without having to watch a video in real time. And a much easier way for people to learn, especially for today's generation who are used to that type of ac easy access to the information they're looking for. But if you're a business owner like me and I got 31 people working in my company and I've got a lot of different tech that I use and every day someone's bringing me another tool. If we just had this job, it would be everything. Like we would be able to sell more than any time in our whole lifetimes. If we just had this one tool, can we please get it? Can we please get it? And I'm always like, yeah, I don't think so because I've got four other tools out there that I'm spending, you know, I don't know, $2,000 a month for, and none of you are using these tools. So yes. like as you're interacting with business owners like me, What's your selling process and, and what's your pitch to them and what pain do you see that they're feeling? And is it the same as mine? It certainly is. Yeah. So one of the things that we try to twist the knife in a little bit about is exactly that this tech stack, every single year that goes on gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And like you said, shiny object syndrome, we have, oh, this tool, well, this thing's going to be the differentiator. And then this element, and it just becomes incredibly overwhelming because then there's so much to manage from a trainer perspective. I got to, I got to onboard all these new employees, train them on all these interfaces. And it's just not a scalable thing. And it's not a very good ROI for time spent. If I spend an hour of a trainer's time on how to click around on software, it's a huge waste, right? How can we outsource that the most interactive way possible so that we can focus on the highest dollar per hour value, which is sitting down with Jeb in person or over Zoom and hearing him teach me about EQ, things that the technology is not going to be able to train me on. I've got to hear it from someone else. I've got to go through those exercises and role plays, so on and so forth. So with that in mind, you know, our focus is really saying, hey, you want your reps to be hyper focused on absorbing as much of that EQ, those soft skills, the sales acumen that is vital to them being a successful seller. What you don't want them to be bothered with and distracted with is the click by click tactical stuff. So we almost outsource that skill set 
into what we call just-in-time learning. So if I'm on Salesforce and I have a question, it's not worth me spending two weeks in onboarding, learning every single element of Salesforce, wasted effort, because I'm only gonna absorb a certain amount of it. It's better to use it as I need it when the scenario pops up. So think about, I go through this deep training with Jeb, I'm in a call with a rep, uh, I'm sorry, with a, a prospect, and I'm now ready to go log my notes into Salesforce. I hop into Salesforce and I can't remember that one field, that one dropdown, I click on this help center. I don't have to remember it. I don't have to recall it. I don't have to make room for it in my brain. I have this GPS and I can just click on it and it tells me, oh yes, click on this field, then this field. And then it'll be a voiceover telling you, yes, make sure you fill this in. And here's when you use this element. So for us, it's really about this invisible sort of almost like Alexa in the background telling you all the knowledge that is tactical, uh, that doesn't need to be really wasting space into the seller's minds. We want to outsource that, give them the tools, right? The old school mentality is MapQuest. Here's a big stack of paper. Good luck to you. I store this with you. And it's, it's wasted knowledge. It doesn't have any room in a salesperson's brain versus this, where what if you could actually use your Salesforce like it's meant to be used? What if you could take this new tool that you're paying thousands of dollars for and actually use it at a deep level because we have the best practices ingrained in there. And it's a part of our process. And it's actually going to guide you as if you were sitting next to the trainer or the, the manager. And so that's the methodology is getting that uh, action packed ability in where they are and that just in time learning, removing the friction between uh, basically that the, the sales skills, those, those soft skills and the, the tactical how to clicks, which aren't, you know, huge ROI for the user. And this is a big deal. So if you are a leader or a sales enablement professional or a, you know, a business owner or a manager and you're listening to this, as an organization, when, one of the things that we specialize at Sales Gravy is building onboarding programs for sales organizations. And these aren't like HR onboarding where you're filling out your I-9 form and all the other things you have to fill out. This is how can we get a salesperson ramped up quicker? So we call it return on sales headcount investment. So Rashi, basically, where's the point in time which this salesperson begins to pay for themselves? Mm -hmm. And one of the big battles that we have with organizations when they bring us in as consultants to solve a problem, which is typically it's taken far too long to get salespeople up, up, up to ramped up to, to full speed. It's they're spending a lot of money on salary to get there and they're turning over a lot of people in the process. But when we go in to try to rebuild their training program, they're so connected to, we got to teach them all of this technology up front. And exactly what you said, they're taking a trainer and the trainer is sitting in a classroom full of people walking through a screen of how to put something into the CRM that the salesperson is not even going to use for another two months. And they can't remember at that point what happened. So they've got to go back and retrain them again. I mean, it's a classic sort of this Six Sigma problem of, you know, taking all the variables out of the system. And, yeah. and the trainers don't even know how to use it that well anyway, because they're not using it every single day and it becomes a mess. So in a lot of cases, we're front loading salespeople with all this information on technology that they can't remember when they get out of training versus what we try to help companies get to is on day three, the salesperson's talking to their first customer. 
And the technology piece, well, they, well, they don't know how to use it. Well, somebody can sit down and show them how to use it, but isn't it better to have them talking to a customer? Cause that's really what we want to do. And, and when we're doing those things successfully, Sean, you know, we're able to take, for example, we had an SDR team out in San Francisco for a tech company and it was taking them 90 days to get the SDRs ramped up to full capacity. Now think about it. The SDR's only job was to set an appointment with somebody and hand off to an account executive three yeah. months. And in San Francisco, these these cats are making some big bucks. I mean, we're talking about six figure appointment centers. OK, and we were able to move them to getting them ramped up in five days by changing what they were doing. So we focused on the EQ. We focused on picking up the phone. We focused on dealing with objections, engaging people first, the things, by the way, that they fear the most. And then the technology figured itself out along the way. Now, we didn't have your tool. What we were doing essentially is we were building like how to use Drift, for example, in real time on video and then laying that into their onboarding process. But we were putting it just in time where they needed it. And this sounds like a much more fluid way of getting that information in front of them at the right time in the right place when they need it the most. And for if anybody who manages sales teams, understanding the economics of getting salespeople ramped up and selling faster, the drop through is just massive for you. Plus it removes a lot of the anxiety and stress that salespeople feel when, you know, I don't know what to do. Nobody taught me. 100%. And somebody like an SDR, it's typically their first role in a sales capacity or definitely their first role in a tech sales capacity. And so they get overwhelmed internally thinking, oh my God, I got to learn about this software my company sells. And now all this new technology to sell is very, very overwhelming for them. And they don't realize that it does, you don't even really need to know very much about your, your product. It, it really is a very low priority item because you're not going to be selling your product. You need to understand your customers at a deep level, the talk tracks, the, the value that you can drive, conversations and, and pain points and where they aggregate and all these sort of things are far more important. And you can waste so much time trying to learn the tech that doesn't even actually help you do your job that much better. And so I 100% agree with what you're saying. See so many organizations wasting millions of dollars of, of wasted revenue uh, or, or potential uh, bound up in that onboarding process because they're not letting them skin their knees get in there, start going and learn as you go, right? If I tell you something abstractly about through video without screen sharing, how to click around, you're like, Sean, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. But if I gave it to you and said, let's do this real time, you're going to absorb it instantly because your brain is trying to solve a problem. The tool then becomes the literal lever that you use to solve that problem versus you thinking abstractly, oh, maybe it could be this and maybe it could be that. So much gets wasted in that uh, spinning your wheels time that, oh, Always happens in onboarding. Yeah, you know, and you're you're doing it in context, so now it's meaningful. So the the keystrokes and the process you went to, it's starting to wire your brain, so you're thinking about it as a system and as a process. It reminds me of a. I was working with a company on an onboarding project, and uh, the the head of sales brought us in. The enablement group was. They were. I mean, they had put the heels in. They were like, you can't change these things. This is how we do it. It works. And the surveys coming back from the field leaders was, it's not working. But the sales enablement group said, this is what we're going to do. So we got to a point where we were at an impasse. And I basically said to them, here's what I'll do. I will come work as a salesperson in your organization for two weeks. And I'm going to sell your product. I don't know anything about your product. I've never sold your product. I don't know your customers. I don't know anything. I'm going to start cold, but I'm not going to get any of this training that you spend a month teaching people about product knowledge. I'm just going to go and sell. 
And if I can sell it without learning all this stuff, then you'll do it my way. And if I don't, I'll do it your way. And they said, okay, because at that point, like they got nothing to lose. So I go in and I, I start selling this product. I don't know anything about it. I've never sold it before. At the end of the two weeks, I'm the number one salesperson in the company. And, and my point to them was, it's exactly what you said. And very few people say this, many sales leaders do this, field sales people. My point was, my job is to have conversations with customers. If I don't know something, there's somebody sitting next to me that's got some experience. And I go, hey, the customers ask me about this. What do I say? Customers on hold. They tell me. And I call I got the customer. I'm going to go, here's, what, here's the answer to that question. Oh, very good. And then I knew it. Like the next time a customer asked me that, I have to go to the person next to me. Then I get a yeah. customer sold and they're ready to get set up. And I go to the next person and go, Hey, I got this person. I've got them closed. I need to get them set up in the system. Can you help me do that? And I would sit next to them and we would set the customer up. And then the next time I wouldn't have to do that. I'd have a couple of questions. And at what we figured out was that it was the, it was the art of selling. It was the art of having conversations. It was the, the process of, of engaging people that mattered far more than what you were selling. Now, did being able to answer those questions matter? Yeah. I mean, did having product knowledge matter? Yeah. I mean, being able to, to be able to listen to a customer, tell you about what was going on and connect your product or service to their issues. Does that matter? Yeah. But a lot of those things are going to come in time. And what you said, Sean, is so important. Teaching someone that in a classroom in an abstract sense does not connect the dots when they're having a conversation with the customer and jumping into fanatical prospecting. If you think about a brand new SDR, okay, this is the very first job they ever had. They've got this job because somebody told them being an SDR is really cool because you can make a lot of money and then you can become an account executive. You can sell really cool software. This is going to be a fun gig. So you get the job and what are you waiting for? Like the very first phone call, you got to call a stranger. And the SDR for that person who has never done that before, that is the scariest moment of their life. So you delay that for weeks while you teach them product knowledge. And the entire time they're thinking, I got to call invisible strangers. I got to make a cold call. This is going to be awful. And I'm, a, I'm the complete opposite. I'm like day one, day two. I don't want to mess anything up, but I'll teach them a, a few things about the culture. But by day three, I want them making their furry first phone calls. I might give them a terrible list. I might give them customers that they can't mess up and screw up, but I want them to get over that fear first because that's the one thing that's going to hold them back. And once I can get them over that fear, everything else is going to be downhill and easy from there. One of the things too, Jeb, and I love this concept is when you throw them into the fire early on, the questions that come up during that process are gold from a management perspective. You are going to have a Venn diagram and the middle of that is going to be the same questions that come up each time from the SDRs. And it's going to be like their hair's on fire because they have a, a, a client on, on the, the line. They have a deal. that's about to close. They have a scenario that they want to try to you know, figure out right away. And that those questions those are what you then spend your time on as a, as a trainer, as a management staff for your FAQs, for your training, for your staff, because those are the things that are coming up early on for them. And that feedback loop is vital to this process because you are now focusing on the elements that are recurring. That's that FAQ. It's a, it's on everybody's website, but it's a very overlooked piece of the process. And it can be extremely helpful even with clients too. I, we do this all the time where we're, we're building content for 
prospect questions just so we can answer them before they come up. And that wow experience is, is super powerful. It's uh, interesting when I, when I hire a new salesperson on our team, they'll, they'll say, well, what do I say when I get on the phone? I go, go get on the phone and come back and tell me what your questions are. And then they come back and say, well, the customer asked this question. What do I do if they say that? I go, okay, let's walk through this. And it's a much easier way of teaching people because now, again, it's in context of what they're dealing with. And that's not always scalable. Of course, if you're, you know, you've got a whole lot of people coming in, you've got to have systems and processes to teach those things. But it, but still, every sales rep has got a frontline manager who is working with them that needs to coach them. And I think frontline managers as well, Sean, have a tendency to, they, they, they hold their people back. We were down in Tampa working with a software company, we're running a fanatical prospecting boot camp with the group. And in our boot camps, we do live phone blocks. So we'll be, you know, we'll be, we'll teach a, a lesson and then we'll go, all right, you got 15 minutes to make 15 dials set one appointment. Everybody comes in with a list. They got their phones, they go. And it just surprises them like at, at how productive they are when we compress time and how many people they talk to and how many appointments they set. I mean, some of the managers are literally shocked. Like, how did you do that? Like, you've got to be some sort of magician. I said, well, they actually talk with people because, you know, people don't answer the phone that doesn't ring, but I'll notice that there'll be, usually there'll be a manager and they'll be sitting next to one of their new reps and the new reps will be watching someone else. And I'm like, well, why isn't the rep making calls? Well, they're brand new. Like, I don't want to completely overwhelm them. So the manager with all of this empathy is like, I want to, I want to hold them back and coddle them a little bit. I mean, I say coddles are kind of a strong word there, but I want to hold them back. And usually I'll, I'll sit next to the rep and they've got their list. And I say, well, just give me the list. I'll, I'll call you watch me. And I'm maybe two or three dials in every once in a while, I'll get lucky and sell something. And I'm having to call somebody. Hey, I got a hot one on They, they want to buy and the rep sitting there. And then the new rep will watch me. And I don't know if it's shame or what it is, but the new rep will say, well, let me make a few of those calls too. And then the new rep starts calling and then they're successful. And then I look at the manager and say, what did you learn? And the manager says, this is all about me holding them back, not not them not wanting to jump in. I'm like, yeah, the sooner you get them working, the sooner you get them doing the things that you want them to do. That doesn't mean that you abdicate your responsibility to be there with them. It doesn't mean that you throw them off the deep end. I'm certainly not going to give them access to the list of my most valuable, qualified prospects to call because I don't want to mess those up. But but I want to put them in a situation where they're working and doing the job. And oh, by the way, as a leader, if you do that, you're going to know really soon whether or not you made a bad hire. So, and that makes it a lot easier to get that person working at a company where they're going to be be much more appreciated and their talent's going to uh, be more uh, effective. But if you wait and wait and wait, then, you know, you spent three months on salary and then you find out that they can't sell or they won't sell, whichever was the case. So I think it's a, a lot of it's on us to let go of, you know, our need to hold our people back and keep them safe and just put them in situations where they get a chance to learn. And then they come back to you and they go, hey, boss, they, they, they gave me this objection. What do I do when they say that? Then you can teach them. Then you can help them see all the possibilities. Yeah, it's true. Active learning. I, I love the quote, you know, perfection is the enemy of progress, right? Somebody get caught up in that analysis paralysis and nothing actually gets done. And like you just highlighted, it's just taking action. We have a million different uh, case studies and, and examples of this. One of them that comes to mind is a, is a fast food chain, very, very large that you and I know very well. And they're bringing 15, 16 and 17 year olds who are, all they want to do is be online and be on Instagram all day. And they're trying to teach them their first job 
job uh, and in these environments, it's fast paced, just people coming in and out, there's different orders and codes and all this kind of stuff. And we help them develop a program that they learned how to use the cash register system in like 40 minutes because it would be live. Somebody would walk up, they bruise their knee, they go, oh shoot, I messed that up. And then they do it again and do it again. And those couple of reps in action, live in that experience, it, it helped them to learn the questions to ask, uh, the, the order, like you said, it's active learning and it just puts the application in place. And that is just fundamental to really driving those behaviors versus just like we talked about thinking about this abstractly. Very good. I could do this all day long. I love learning. <laughs> I love, I just love, I love making the brain work. And I, I think that so often we just don't trust that people have ability to do things because of our experience. We think that they have to have years of experience to pick something up. And one of my favorite leaders says that uh, talent trumps tenure. And I want to focus on talent and get talent working for me. Let's shift gears and talk about fanatical prospecting for a second. And for everybody who's watching, I have a list of notes here. I usually don't use notes, but with Sean, I'm using some notes just to make sure that I don't miss some important questions. Um, and uh, But I, I want to start off with fanatical prospecting. That's, that's how you and I met is through fanatical prospecting. But how has fanatical prospecting helped your career as both an entrepreneur, as a sales leader, and as an individual that's out just, you know, trying to fill up your pipeline. Yeah, I'm an individual contributor and have always been, whether it's my own business or in these sales roles. And I think the biggest takeaway for me initially with fanatical prospecting was really around the mindset of being obsessed with the process of prospecting. And that it's this continuous art, this muscle, this habit that I needed to ingrain. And I think your book, you know, struck me at the right time where I needed to think about it in that way. I think when we're looking at sales outside and we're not used to that world, we can kind of get in our own way and think that people get very lucky and all their network and they happen to stumble upon this and their uncle knew a guy and that's how they made these deals. And I recognize that the more conversations that I started, the luckier I seemed to get. If I could just make more phone calls, if I could just be more active on LinkedIn, if I could send those emails consistently, I inherently would set myself up for future success. And I think the methodology of thinking about your, your rule of 30, or I'm not exactly sure what you call it, but where I'm, I'm putting activity in now to do my future self a service, right? And I saw that come through so many times where I'm working on this month to set me up for a good next quarter, right? And I would just see this time and time again that the actions that I took and having this short memory of just going, I have X amount that I'm trying to hit today. This is my goals and my actions. And if I were to just put those forth, good things are gonna come. And it's, it's while we know sales is a numbers game, the important thing for me was recognizing that the checkbox that I needed was not deals closed. As important as it is to move a deal into the finish line, the first and best thing I could do for my day and my career was checking the prospecting box, was making that outreach, which was sending that email, doing that extra work. If I did that, that was the real completion that mattered because it led to everything else. And so that was the, the main takeaway from like a mindset perspective that I really needed to get in that mode that this was a, a habit that I need to adopt for life. This is not something that's convenient and the feast or famine that I prospect when I'm slow and I don't when I'm busy, that, that whole methodology. Yes. When you think about the disciplines of ultra performance, one of those disciplines is, is pipeline discipline. 
And pipeline discipline is putting things into the pipeline and moving things through the pipeline with those two books that are behind you, right? So putting things in and through a series of micro steps, moving it through. And 80% of the problems that salespeople have basically fit there, right? If you, and if you're not putting enough in, typically what's in the pipeline begins to stall because instead of piping, uh, pro- or prospecting to add things to the pipeline, you begin prospecting your pipeline. In other words, mm-hmm. you start calling stalled deals and saying, hey, you know, just checking in, seeing how you're doing. How, how, can we get back together again? You get a lot of voicemail. And when you're putting things into the pipeline, what happens is those deals that are stalled or not moving forward, they naturally get pushed out because you no longer have time to deal with them. And that's super important when you go back and think about the 30-day rule, which means that the prospecting you do in any given 30-day period has a tendency to pay off for the next 90 days. And if you're an enterprise-level sales, the prospecting you do in a quarter has a tendency to pay off for the next year. But the point here is that, and something that you said is that prospecting is not a, I prospect today, therefore I get today. You prospect today and you build the future. And, and let me ask you, Sean, have you ever had this situation where you've been prospecting day, every day, every day, every day, every day? And there's a moment in your brain where you're thinking, this ain't working. Like, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm just getting no's. The pipeline's getting any bigger. And then, like, I mean, for out of nowhere, your phone rings and it's somebody that says, hey, I got a buddy who would love to talk to you. And then, yeah. you know, and then or, or someone comes to you online that you never knew before, you've never talked to before, not on your prospecting list. And suddenly they're raising their hand and they want to do business with you. Does it ever happen to you? <laughs> Happens every single week to me. And that it's always that way. Yeah. That's the power of prospecting and people don't get it. People think I'm nuts when I say like the universe has this amazing way of rewarding people who are being consistent with their prospecting. A bluebird flies through the window. My, my people call them the sales gods, right? The sales gods reward prospecting. And it's, I don't care where you go in the world. I don't care with which sales team. I don't care individual salespeople, salespeople who prospect every day, every day, every day, every day, as you said, are making their own luck. The more people you talk with, the more you're going to sell. It's just that simple. And this consistency matters, but it's hard for people when they don't see, they don't see the, the fruit of their labor immediately. So a lot of yeah. prospecting, wouldn't you say is like, you got to have faith in the system. 100%. Yeah. And again, coming from the business ownership world, I constantly had to see this and learn the hard way about process because I would be like, Oh no, I'm the secret sauce. It's me. It's my ego getting in the way thinking I need to be the one who does all these different elements. It wasn't until I adopted some of the learnings of like the e-myth and some of these other concepts of systems and processes and be obsessed with that process. And if you can, again, focus on that, your job is to complete that element, that micro step of that larger process, that's going to equal success. It's not some big motion some Hail Mary activity that's going to make your quota every month. The people that are successful, as you mentioned, it doesn't happen by accident. It's those reverse engineering of those steps. And for me, focusing on starting conversations that I have a productive conversation today, that conversation may have went nowhere, but that person now knows who I am. They were connected on LinkedIn. I know something about them and it goes into the CRM and into this database that I can pull from, that I can reference. And you're building this network, knows by node and that ability to just slowly push that out and knowing that that activity will pay off and that your focus is just on today and the things you can control. You can never make someone buy, but you can help with those different micro steps that make it easier for them to be attracted to you. Right. And I think that's fundamental to the prospecting element. 
Yeah. And every conversation you have yields more information that fills in the jigsaw puzzle of the account that begins to identify future buying windows. And it, it, as you build your database and build your database, it becomes sort of a gold mine that you're able to, to, to dial into and build better lists. Because the one thing I know to be true with prospecting is when you're very, when you first start typically, and depending on where you work, I mean, in some cases, if you've got a really dialed in marketing team, they're going to give you a playlist as an SDR and you're going to dial that playlist and they're going to be, these are going to be inbound leads that have come in. They've been vetted by marketing and they're going to have some score on them. And if you're brand new, you're going to get low scored you know, prospects. And if you've been there for a while and you've proven yourself, you're going to get the high score prospects. But if you're an entrepreneur or you're a field sales rep, or you work for a smaller company or even a big company, in a lot of cases, if you're, if you're starting off, you're going to get a database and the database is going to have three or 4,000 prospects in it. And the salesperson before you didn't put in the information in. So you're starting new. So you're going to be dialing almost randomly those prospects. But over time, as you, as you talk to people and you get more information, what happens is then the database gets better and you can start building better lists. And when you have a better list, you're going to get a better outcome. So what happens, you begin bending win probability in your favor. And because it's not just, you know, prospecting for the sake of prospecting, although it does feel like that when you're brand new, it's prospecting to set appointments. It's prospecting to gather information. And in some cases, it's prospecting to move directly into a sales conversation, depending on what your objective of that call is. But I think some of it, Sean, is about perspective. And let me tell you a quick story and and get your I get your feedback on this and and how you maybe you take perspective to your own sales team. But I was I was doing a fanatical prospecting uh, session with a group of insurance reps, and after the session, they had a chance to do what they call my team calls it Jeb Unplug, but people can just ask me any questions. And one of the reps gets on. We we did this on on Zoom, so one of the reps gets on Zoom. And says, listen, I just got one question for you. He says, you know, I make a lot of phone calls and I don't really get a lot of results from it. You know, is there something that I could be doing with my time that would be a better investment of my time? A question I get all the time. So I said, okay, well, when you say you don't get a lot from it, like, like, can you explain? And he says, well, yeah, yesterday he said, I made uh, 30 or 40 outbound dials uh, and I talked to 10 people and I got one appointment set with a qualified prospect. I go, okay, well, how long did that take you? And he goes, I think about, about 90 minutes. He goes, but it just didn't yield very much. I mean, a lot of voicemails, that type of thing. So I said, okay, well, that one appointment is qualified. He goes, yeah. And I said, well, if you did that every day, if you had one qualified appointment every day and before he could answer, his boss turns his mic on and go, he'd be making a million dollars in commissions if he had one good appointment every day because they're selling, you know, commercial business insurance. And these are typically pretty big deals. And, and, and I looked at him and said, is that true? Would you be making a million dollars in commission if you set one appointment every single day with a qualified prospect? And he goes, yeah. So what you're telling me is that you don't think that investing 90 minutes a day to make a million dollars is is worth your time and effort. There's something else you could be spending your time on. And he just looks at me and goes, I got your point. And he goes away. And I'm thinking, you know, that's the perspective that I see missing in some cases. And I'm not sure that leaders are always helping their, their salespeople understand the implication of the cumulative impact of a little bit of activity, a little bit of appointments every day. It's kind of like the money ball scenario, right? So for me, money ball is how many first time appointments did you get? Because if you got first time appointments, 
Some are going to be conversations like you said. I'm going to log it into the uh, in the CRM. You know, it's going to be a, a good conversation, but it didn't go anywhere. Some of them are going to get into the pipeline. And if I'm making the dials, setting the first time appointments or sending videos or, 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 you know, hopping on LinkedIn or leaving voicemails or I'm on WhatsApp or whatever the case may be, and I'm putting them in over time, it's going to pay off. And I think that that's that salespeople and I'm going to let you tell me why, but I'm just, I just don't think that they see like the impact of that one small conversation. Instead, what he saw was 29 of those phone calls didn't get me anywhere. There's got to be some better way. Yeah. I often think it's the recency bias. The negatives hurt so much more than the positives, right? So if you had one negative review, one negative conversation, one person slam a door in your face, hang up on you, it burns so much more than the 10 appointments you set. And I think that when we don't get through, when we set a bunch of voicemails, it's that negative emotion is much easier for our brains to comprehend. It's like the safety mechanism that we put in place. You talk about the lizard brain and that concept, right? And so I think that we don't realize, as you mentioned, the small incremental steps that we're making forward. And we miss out on that larger pie. That that one step forward is still a step forward. And the cumulative kind of compounding interest of that is unbelievable over the course of a year, two years. I mean, a career, it just, it goes insane. And, and that's why I always like to think about the mindset side, because like you said, you have to unpack the emotional piece of this. And the brain is telling you that, oh God, this is not working and not recognizing that that small deal equals out to huge results. So I always think of it being like more of a, the old school advertisers. I think it was Ted Turner. He was talking about early days when he, he worked for his father and he would set up these signs everywhere. And he would say, my job is to make people aware of this business. And it was this concept of like, I'm going to just make subtle touches to further the conversation, right? And it might be a hang up today, but as you say, next week, they might have a great conversation with me if I call them back. And so if I can make small deposits over time, a penny a day, over the course of a quarter, a year, whatever it might be, it's going to add up. And so every time I reach out, it is an, a subtle reminder. It's an advertisement. It's that little blip, the banner ad, whatever you want to think of it as that helps to further ingrain you and the brand that you're selling. I think that is such a powerful thing to be thinking about that we're, we're adding to this pool. We're putting a penny a day, those deposit, deposit, deposit. Eventually, you're going to have a whole bunch of withdrawals coming your way if you can put in that work on the front end. And a lot of that has to do with creating familiarity, right? So the more people are familiar with you, the more they're going to like you, the, the higher the probability that when the time is right, they're going to engage. And that's, that's the thing. The time is not always right. A lot of prospecting is finding the right time. I, for me personally, about 80% of the prospecting I do is gathering information and looking for future buying windows, not trying to get the person to meet with me in the moment, because I really don't want to spend time with people who either can't or are not in a place where they have the ability to buy. It's just waste my time and waste their time. But if I can know when they're going to buy, at least I can, I can predict a change or something is going to happen, a budgetary period, a contract coming up. It makes things a lot easier for me to then, again, build a better list. So I'm calling people or emailing people or sending video to people who have yeah. a high probability of buying from me. But I think it all goes back to what you said earlier is that consistent system. It's the faith in the process. So instead of looking at 
I had all this pain today. You look at the process. And for me that I'm a wonk for process. Like I prospecting is, is not something that I think most people enjoy, but I love it because I know what it does. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to like guess or worry. I know that if tomorrow I go broke, like the, my business falls apart that 90 days from now, no matter what I'm doing, I'm going to be the number one salesperson because I can out prospect anybody anywhere. Uh, even if I got to go be a greeter at Walmart, I'm going to be the best prospector at Walmart bringing people in. But I just understand the cumulative impact of little every day and the work that you do every day to create opportunities in your pipeline. Let's, I want to talk to talk to you real quickly about you as a leader. So you, you, you brought fanatical prospecting into your own life and you adopted the principles. And I don't think we're talking about a lot of rocket science here. I mean, this is pretty simple, basic sell stuff. How have you as a leader taken this concept of fanatical prospecting, consistent prospecting, system-based prospecting to your sales team and made them successful? Yeah. So as a head of sales, this is a relatively new role for me here. And I was the first sales hire kind of, uh, we, we were a freemium product. So we had a bunch of inbound people that we needed to convert and it happened naturally. And the company did re really well before I stepped in. And then it was, okay, we're taking on some larger global brands. They need a dedicated sales process. Let's build out a department. And that's been my mission uh, for the past half a year or so. And so now we're at the point where we're bringing in some, some SDRs and we're building out those, those processes for outreach and qualification and those sort of things. And so it's very much what we've been talking about here uh, about just making sure that there's a process behind everything we do. And I, I talk to SDRs often I'm, I'm in, you know, Reddit threads and LinkedIn, and I see all these different things. And the same conversations come up about people not feeling like they're getting any kind of sales training. And one of the reasons why I think that sales gravy is just going to be a dominant force in the future, is because there's a limited amount of, uh, of well uh, aggregated information out there about sales. Uh, there's stuff all over the place and there's lots of misinformation and everything, but the process of, of having the, the tool chest to leverage in all the different elements of the sales process is super helpful. And a lot of organizations are not providing training. They're not providing real impactful learning. They're giving them a script. They're giving them just really bogus superficial information and trying to just say, Hey, be on your way. And so one of the big things for me coming from something like fanatical prospecting is having extreme ownership over what's happening, right? So someone might come to my organization and it might not be my fault that they don't know X, Y, and Z, but it is my problem now as the leader to help them learn that. And so what I'm working on over the break and things I've been doing, building out very deep learning about our customers. To me, it's fundamental for that rep to have a deep understanding of the pain points, the scenario, what our customers are going through, because I don't want to ask them to trust us. I want to show them that we're trustworthy, right? And it's a big difference I see in the sales world where people are trying to say, oh, just trust me, get on the call. Trust me. It's going to be fine. Where we're trying to say, no, we're going to show that we're valuable. We're going to show you value up front. We're going to actually, you know, showcase where our uh, trust ability is. And then you're going to be gravitating towards us. So we're trying to build a culture of that about value first and not just being that extra rep you look at, you know, we sell into sales organizations, they're being inundated hundreds and hundreds of messages and calls and, and uh, emails a week. How do we differentiate? How do we stand out? Right. And so we use a lot of creativity and going that extra mile 
in order to stand out and to be different and to be impactful. And, and that's really the, the methodology we're trying to put in place. Yeah, and I think when you, you when you look at what SDRs are saying on those Reddit streams and online and the questions that we get in, a lot of it is about how can I be more successful? So part of it is I'm not getting any sales training and I get that. Uh, part of it is that they're looking for the magic pill. Like, you know, the, my, my insurance sure. rep who says like, is there anything better than I can do? And some of it is they're looking for a formula and you just laid out one core pillar of that formula. And that is relevance. So you are noise in prospecting. You're basically engaging strangers and you can, you can argue with me, well, it's an inbound lead. Well, there are a handful of inbound leads where a person has raised their hand. They say, I'm ready to go. I love them. I go hunt for them. I've got a whole team of people that work to try to get those, but those are few and far between the people who say, I want to talk now about how I can get my team training Like in my, in our world. That's what we want to hear. Or we want Jeb to come in for a keynote. Those are beautiful. Those are people who have typically already made a decision for us. And mm -hmm. all we have to do is make sure that we don't scare them off. Sure. The vast majority of what we're getting in, if it's an inbound lead or the, you know, we're in, you know, identifying through the data points that we have, we got to call and inter interrupt them. I, I know that you're a big fan of Google alerts. We are too. So I've got a Google alert for vice presidents of sales that just works because I get all the press releases of new heads of sales. And we know that when someone comes in new, that there's a probability that they're going to change something because they need to make their mark. So we reach out and call them and it's worked for us for years. It's powerful. We have to call them and we have to get their attention. And they don't want to pay attention to us because we're just noise. So we have to begin with relevance. The message, what you're saying to them, the, how you're getting their attention, you have to be relevant to their situation. And that's something that as an individual sales rep, you really need to, to lean into. Like, just stop and think if you were going to sell something to Sean, like what's, what's his world like? What's he going through? What are issues and patterns that you see? And, and if you're selling to lots of businesses, let's say, you know, like Sean's business, then what are the patterns that you see across those businesses so, so you can create targeted messages? If you're selling to a C-level person, you need a personalized message. You're going to use one message for that person. It's going to take you a while to put it together, but you need relevance. You just can't be another person saying, we're the biggest company and we do this. I get a million of those messages a day. They almost always come in through email. I delete them all. And oh, by the way, yep. Sean, this fall, over the course from September until now, I got three prospecting phone calls, three, and everybody knows my phone number. I mean, it's on the internet. Like you can call my cell phone number. People got it. Three of them. And I set appointments with all three of them because all three of them called me with a relevant message. One of them called me, emailed me, called me again. I called them back because they did that. So, so think about, you know, that, that process could be relevant. Now, the number two thing is in this situation is that because your noise, it's easy to ignore you. So you need to be persistent and and stay in front of people. An example of this is the, the, the biggest software purchase I ever made, a software purchase that transformed my company. It was a really big deal. The guy who sold to me called me and left me 71 voicemail messages. Now, this was over an eight-month period. Not only did he do that, like he stalked me on LinkedIn, he sent me emails. I told him no a dozen times. He was always professional, always good, but he never gave up. And basically he was, as your, your, your buddy, Anthony Anarino says, he was demonstrating that he cared enough about me that he wasn't willing to go away. But 
if you think about that as a, if let's say if I were on one of those Reddit streams, my, my message to the SDR is you need to bend probability in your favor. So it's not just about using a hammer over and over and over again. Yes. I think persistence matters, but it's also about leveraging sequences of messages and, mm. and using sequences of channels in order to get through. And I'm, I'm curious about what you're using and what you're seeing in terms of putting those sequences together. So a sequence would be a, a voicemail, an email, a snail mail, which by the way, works really, really well because it's an, an, an empty inbox right now. Video, you know, direct messaging. What are you doing right now that you feel like as a sequence is working for you? Yeah, yeah. Lots to unpack there. But a, se- a sequence that we use, whether it's a slight inbound, like a free trial, or it's somebody just net new that we want to break into, uh, it, it can vary a bit. But the idea generally is that relevance. And we're Again, we're trying to put up those signposts around. So our name starts to come into their brain. They start to think about us. And we're, we're not pushing. We're being, I would say, don't be a shovel where you're just banging over and over and over again. We're being a magnet. We're bringing the attention and the interest to us. And that's the activity we're trying to uh, really pull out of our prospects. And so one of the ways we do that is we'll do a, a social touch first. So we'll find, we'll build the list, go on to LinkedIn, we connect with them first. And then from there, we're sending a, a, an email. If we can, we're then in the subsequent steps, we're figuring out what kind of content they're posting. We sell into a lot of sales engagement uh, departments. We sell in a lot of learning departments. They tend to put together a lot of content out there. It's an easy way to start a conversation. You are probably the easiest person in the world to prospect because you have like 13 books and more content than he, any human puts out. How hard would it be to read one of your books, read an article and read out to you, right? It's to eat. No one has ever turned down a compliment. If someone started with Jeb, I got X out of your published publication. You would answer that email right away. Right. And yes. people forget that so many times to start with something like that. So we look for that self-authored content. We look for the touches where we can start a conversation. And so I'll give you an example of one that happened recently. Very, very big software company, one of the largest in the world that you and I know very well. And I've been tracking them down for a long time, had some flags in the ground with a couple of different stakeholders. So we we connected on LinkedIn. We sent an email to a couple of people to bounce around, figure out who the right person was to speak to. And we're doing this over the course of a, a couple of months. And we're slowly dripping out to learn, to learn, to learn. We're not pushing. We're trying to figure out and fill the box of this hypothesis we're trying to fill, right? About this organization. Now this is an enterprise account, so it's a little bit different, but the idea was I'm then posting my own content to serve that audience. So I'm interacting on their content. I'm now providing content to serve with them. If you're an SDR, you don't have to come up with your own. I'm sure your marketing team has plenty that you can help share or put your two cents in to get the conversation started and at least publish something. This contact had messaged me or or commented on a thread. I then started a conversation on LinkedIn and said, Hey, really appreciate you reaching out and, and adding your two cents. I noticed you said X, Y, and Z. I actually just finished up a project with ABC company. They were in a very similar situation. They're using a lesser known approach that we help them construct to increase their training X, Y, and Z and our, our pain points we put in there. If it would be helpful, I have a couple of takeaways from that conversation. I'd be happy to send your way if you're ever interested. Easiest ask possible. There's no calendar link. There is no pressure, no friction. 
she messaged back right away said, Oh, that's actually really interesting. Uh, I'd, I'd love to, to, see, to see what it was. Right. So instead of just sending them an article or a case study, I went on their website. I used our tool. I got a free trial of their software. I built out a bunch of tutorials. I made a video of me doing this whole process probably took me 15 minutes end to end. I constructed it down to a five minute video, one link. And I sent it over to her personalized to her with all the, the touch points we had mentioned. She read that and she answered me in like 10 seconds and said, this is the most thoughtful thing I've received. I, I have never seen this. And she said, I just took this to my sales team and said, why the hell are you guys not doing things like this? You need to be getting video out there to your, to our, our prospects. And so that experience was so pointed to her that we had dripped around and now other people in the organization knew who we were. We, it was so relevant to her. And even if it wasn't uh, tactical for right now, we've built a relationship. And so next quarter, next year, when things come up, we are now continuing that conversation. And all I was looking to do is open the door. The timing happened to be right. We got into a conversation. Now we're well deep into the sales process and, and very likely to close because of that work we did in that first 30 day period that's paying off in the, in the next 90. And a sidebar on that, I can't tell you how many times that I've had a conversation like that. I've, I've been able to deliver something relevant to a, a person in the, like your prospect and the time wasn't right for that enterprise, but that person then went to another company and my phone rings <laughs> and they're they're now. And now they're in a position where they can make a, a call and they remember me. And I think that's what we can't lose in this is that you, you started off this conversation by explaining that all of these little touches pay off over time. You're, you're building a body of work with people and you're networking. You just never know how those are going to connect. I, I, I'm also a big fan of video. Uh, I, I do, I, I do, we, we run like one of the sequences we run is a five, four, three, two, one sequence. So we'll leave in, in, once, once someone's engaged, they're out of the sequence. So, but we'll mm -hmm. leave five voicemails and we don't do that. Like one, two, three, four, five, this is over say a 30 or 90 day period. We'll, uh, we'll send uh, four emails and a couple of those emails would be video messages. We'll do three mm -hmm. LinkedIn touches. We'll send two snail mails and, uh, and then we'll, we'll reserve one for something that we think is working like a special video or some type of a package or, you know, swag or something that we'll give folks. And it's amazing how many people we get to engage at some point in that sequence, because over time, they, we sent, you know, we, we have to look, put the messaging in, right. We can't see the same, you know, same message over and over and over again, but the video messages in that sequence that are delivered at exactly the right time have the, the highest conversion of any of the other messages. If we do the video message too soon, it doesn't work. If we do it mm -hmm. too late, it's sort of like a Hail Mary. But if we do it in the middle, there's just point where they see our smiling face or it's so relevant to them that they're almost compelled to respond to us because in a lot of ways, it's a gift. Like Because like your person says, nobody's ever been this thoughtful in, in, in the way that they've treated me as a salesperson. Tell me about video. And this will be the last subject because I'm, I'm a, like, I'm so enthusiastic about the power of video for salespeople to, to connect with prospects, not as a standalone. I really believe video is, is best as part of a sequence, but tell me about your experience with video and your advice to salespeople everywhere. This is Sean Adams lesson to you about how to use video to get in touch with people. 
Yeah. If you could see my loom accounts, you'd be astonished. I have like 500 plus videos in the past six months alone. Anytime I can communicate via video, I do. And at first it's uncomfortable and it took me a couple of, of weeks or months to really get used to it. But once you realize that it's like having a conversation with someone on the other side of the screen in that sort of asynchronous way, it is unbelievably powerful. We're in the virtual world. The closest thing we have to me showing up in Georgia and shaking your hand is me sending you a video. I sent you a video to come on this podcast. And I feel like you now know me a little bit by that 60 seconds that I put into that video, right? It's the only way we can feel the emotion, the nuances, the talk tracks, the, the, the way the person looks, their background. I mean, it's, it's an immersive experience that you only get if you're in person and video can help that come across. I 100% agree that just sending those blankly out, they get abused like every other prospecting tool. But when you're really trying to build a relationship, there's nothing better than video. So I use it in a multitude of different ways. So if we have a touch, I might send an email, text, only first and try to build some familiarity or have some touches on LinkedIn. And then let's say they put a post up about something hyper relevant to what we do. I will then create a video and say, Hey, I really like your thoughts about X, Y, and Z. As I mentioned, I'll have a video, maybe 60 seconds. It might be a couple of minutes. If I have something to offer pure value driven, did you know that this, this, and this happens? I wanted to connect you with X here's all this value. I'm going to give it to you. And when you put that on a video, someone is blown away because it feels like for someone who does not make video that they had to take it to a production team and get it B-roll put in and all this crazy stuff that it took you the same amount of time as it did to type out that email. If you're using tools like Vidyard and Loom and, and all those easy $10 a month items, like it's the easiest money you'll ever spend. So that familiarity is super powerful. Other places that I use video is throughout the sales process. One of the best ways is when you get into a customer conversation for you account executives and people that are running full cycles, you're going to have a conversation and a presentation with a, a customer, uh, whatever that looks like a demo, it's a, a proposal, whatever it is. When you're finished that up, one of the best things I do is a post after, uh, call it next steps, uh, after uh, that first conversation. I am then going and summarizing everything that we covered with three bullet takeaways about what they, what we covered and what was important to them. I'm doing this in typically about maybe 120 seconds. I am then showcasing a couple of areas that we covered. They now get that in their inbox because the person you're talking to, if you're lucky, they're a decision maker not always the case. So now they're going to distribute this to finance and HR and all these other elements. Nobody wants to sit on another hour phone call with you, whether you have the best software in the world, they don't want to do it. But if you can distill that down into something ultra valuable, super value packed, and they can watch it in a couple of minutes and they can send a link to their colleague. Hey, I want to invest in this. How does this look? You'd be amazed at the barriers that will break down because you're showing as if they were there with you, you're showcasing it. Uh, you get used to how to talk on video and how to look professional. Uh, it's a very, very powerful tool, million other use cases for it, but I am a huge fan of video, every communication, every question that I get back from a prospect or a client, I try to respond with video just to explain, add color, screen share. It's just so much more powerful from, from text when we're in those communications and we're trying to build that relationship. Yeah. It's, uh, 
it just works. I, I, I carry my Vidyard app on my phone everywhere I go. And no matter where I'm, I'm, I might be out in the woods. I've got some, you know, some, I live on a farm and I might be with one of my horses and my wife will be sitting there and I'll, and I have a, I always carry a list of all of the customers I need to send videos to. And I'll say, hold my camera for a second. And I just, I, in the moment I'll shoot a video with a cow behind me, but, and people dig it like, because it's real life. Right. And and it's just, it's a nice way for me. I'm as a business owner, in a lot of cases, I'm just keeping up with my customers and trying to say hello to them, but it's a nice way for me to stay connected where I don't have to be connected in real time. And be, it's amazing how many people send a video back to me and with customers, I, you know, I'll send them a lot in a lot of cases, I'll send them through text messages, but Vidyard works. And then like, like you said, a little bit of, a little bit of editing and you can make them look really, really nice. It's just a powerful way. And we've been using video here for years and years at Sales Gravy. Typically when we're traveling, David over here, who's my producer on the other side of this wall, he's, he's traveling with me and we'll stop and we're doing videos in all kinds of like crazy places. We were in Nepal and I think we shot 20 videos in Nepal for customers that were in the buying cycle just to get them over the hump. And one of the things we found, Sean, is that when we get a verbal from a customer, so someone says, I want to do business with you, but we don't have a contract signed. That's a really precarious position to be in because a lot of things can go wrong in that space is when we send the video in between our closing rate goes almost to a hundred percent because we just create this, it's, this, I guess it's a, a, I don't know, a place where it's really hard for them to go back on their word at that point, because we sent them a really nice personalized video. It's all about what the future is going to look like. And if you're using a tool like Loom or my favorite is Vidyard, then I can get all these metrics about what happens. And a couple of those videos, uh, we shot one at the Monkey Temple in Nepal that went viral inside our customers place of business. <laughs> so at that point, like we knew that we could just put, you know, closed on that deal because they were never going to go back on it because people had so much fun with it. One thing I would add as a little hack to for that verbal commit stage, which we all sit in purgatory sometimes where Mary said yes, but you actually haven't closed the deal. In addition to like the nice, hey, so so glad that we're going to be moving forward together and you send that, that personalized video. One of the things that I find that derails is other departments, finance, procurement, legal. They're the ones that are putting the brakes on the deal that you have to deal with, right? And so what I started to do is anticipate those barriers, those breaks, and make videos for each of those audiences, right? So I've done it where it's just like a blanketed message. Here's how IORAD works for procurement. Here's what you need to know. And then if it's a big deal, I will make a personalized video for each of those stakeholders. Okay, legal. Here's what I know you're going to be asking me because I've heard it a thousand times. Um, here's everything I can give you in one spot with all our documentation. We're so excited to move forward. You don't have to respond to me. We're talking to Mary, but I just want to make sure you had a resource so we don't have to go back and forth email a thousand times, right? I did that. It took me 10 minutes, I would answer so many questions that would come up and take a deal three, four weeks down the line because I'm anticipating what's going to happen. We're using that little customized flair. That level of creativity always resonates with the audience and you're actually giving them value. You're not just saying, hey, thanks. See you soon. You're answering a question before they even had a chance to answer, to ask it. Wonderful. What a great tip. Sean Adams with IRED. Sean, if people want to find more information about you uh, and uh, about IRED, where should they go? 
Yeah. The best place is LinkedIn. Uh, connect with me there. It's Sean S E A N Adams. Um, I put a lot of content out there about sales, about learning and training. So it's a great place to, to reach out and connect. If anybody wants to talk specifically about uh, any of those sort of things, you go to iorad.com, just like it sounds I O R A D. You can shoot me an email, Sean at iorad.com. Happy to talk sales with anybody. It's a huge passion of mine, of course. And uh, yeah, happy to answer any questions as well. Awesome. It's been a pleasure having you on. This has been a great conversation. And folks, if you want to experience what it's like to learn on Salesgrave University and you've never been there before, you can get your very first course for free by using coupon code free course at learn.salesgravy.com. That's learn.salesgravy.com. I'll see you on the next episode. 